Welcome, everyone, to Vandermeer's View, the podcast. And this week, something special. I'm going to let D.P. Sidhu occupy the driver's seat, and we'll talk about my career, getting to the National Football League, do's and don'ts, searching for jobs, and a lot of stuff about broadcasting. Let's listen in. I'm D.P. Sidhu, and joining me today, Mark Vandermeer, who's actually in the guest seat. I'm a guest. Not the driver's seat. I'm a guest. He's a ba- he's a horrible backseat driver, by the way. I'm terrible. I'm the. W- it's true <laughs> in real life too. I'm the worst. Oh, in real life too. Oh, take a left here. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't don't let him in. No, no. I'm terrible. Yeah. As a shotgun I, I can, driver. I, I mean, if there are any parallels to how you are in the uh, guest seat of a radio uh, yeah, sta- studio, I, I can imagine because I know you like to drive. But... Use more reverb. <laughs> I need reverb. It's like my mic's not my mic's not high enough. Turn my headset up. Anyway, we've got a special edition, and the reason why you're in the guest seat is mm-hmm. because. Of all people, no one has ever done this with you. No one sat you down and, and it's gone, actually true. picked apart your life. Right. You know, in your innermost thoughts and My feelings. life with the Texans. I, I know your history, and I know most mostly about your radio career just through right. stories here and there. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd go to the media directory because this is how I do my research for Deep Slants. I read people's mm-hmm. bios. And I read this line in your bio. It was, quote, since the Texans began play, Mark Vandermeer is the only current team employee to attend every single game in franchise history. Yeah, I am the only one. Now, for a while, while the other staff was still here, Gary Kubiak's staff, Chick Harris, who had been here with the Dom Caper staff, Joe Marciano, he had been here since the beginning, and uh, Jay Brunetti, the equipment manager. Those guys all left. Now, Dr. Walter Lowe mm-hmm. claims, now, he, I guess he's been at every <laughs> game, but he's not a team employee. You know, so that's why that is worded that way. I'm the only team employee to have been at every game. He says he's been at every game. We were debating this, I should say, because, like, I really want to be the only one, but I don't want him to miss any. You know, he's kind of important. He's You'll the throw doctor. him like a like an honorary bone, but I he's not seem to remember, not. like, in the early years, I thought he missed one. But if he says he has, that's fine with me. And, you know, look, whatever. I'm just – I'm thrilled to have been what about the at every single game. No, Bob has not been at every game, and Cal has not been at every game. And even my broadcast partner, Andre Ware, has been at every regular season game. So, I mean, those are the important ones, obviously. But he's missed three or four four of the final preseason games uh, and it's because he's got ESPN duties and and he's got to get to that site and that's a Labor Day weekend game always and uh, that's when college football begins so yeah I'm the only one and it's it's really an honor to have that because this is all I ever really wanted to do is be the voice of a team you know since I got into this business so uh, that that leads me to my next question because before you came here we know that you were with the Miami Hurricanes you're the voice of the Hurricanes had you ever thought I want to be an announcer in the NFL had you, you know, interviewed with other teams? Honestly, uh, if you go back before Miami, I was at UMass, and they were really good at basketball when I got there. Went to the Final Four, Marcus Camby, John Calipari, outstanding team, 1996. At that point, I really wanted to be in the NBA. I mean, I was gunning for the NBA. I thought, that's where I want to be. But then I got the Miami job, which is a whole other story. I and got the Hurricanes a, job. That was football and baseball. Football, right? baseball, and basketball. Oh, and, and yeah, basketball. Yeah, and they were very good in basketball at the time, although it's not, you know, no one remembers. Like, for them, they went to the Sweet 16 the first year I was there, which for them was their greatest season ever. Uh, and they were really good in the Big East at the time. And it was fun to be with them going to Big East gyms, traditional places like UConn and beating them and Syracuse and beating them. That was a lot of fun to be with them. Anyway. At that time, though, I realized I'm, I'd always been in love with the NFL. I mean, that was the first sport I fell in love with. 
And at that time, I thought, you know, maybe maybe I'm becoming more of a football announcer. Because I always felt like, and I still feel like this to a certain extent, that I'm a better basketball announcer than a football announcer. You are? I still feel that way. Why? I'm still trying to perfect football on the radio. I'm never really satisfied. You know, I'm okay. I'm not, like, despondent. But, <laughs> but I really like my basketball call. You know, and I got it to a level because I've done hundreds. Hundreds and hundreds of basketball done, games. Well, there just are more basketball games to do. There's more volume, and I do like that part of it. I just, I, I like to call basketball kind of like a hockey announcer calls hockey, like really high energy, machine gun delivery, bam, bam, bam. And football is just a different kind of deal, you know. And and you want to not get overly descriptive because the mind's eye can only handle so much. But you have to be descriptive enough to where you can see the ball and see what's happening in your mind while you're listening. Most often in the car because that's what radio play by play is. So. So, honestly, like for years I wanted the NBA, but then after a while I thought, man, the football thing is just, it's really starting to get me. Because, you know, when you're at the University of Miami and there you are with Ken Dorsey and Andre Johnson and Ed Reed and all those great players and and national championship run, the year before they could have, would have, should have played in the national championship game. I really felt like I'm becoming more of a football guy. And then the Texans opportunity came up and I never... It, it was always my dream to be the voice of a team. Like back in the early 90s, I covered um, Penn State sports, and I was working in central Pennsylvania. And Mike Lang was the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's outstanding. He was a guy I really looked up to, you know, and he's crazy. You know, Scratch my back with a hacksaw. He says all this <laughs> shtick stuff, which is a little bit too over the top for my taste, uh-huh. uh, for me, but for him, it works great. Anyway, I once saw him at the Igloo, which is where the Penguins used to play, and I just said, this is like the early 90s, I just said, I want to be like that. I want to be the voice of the of team. team. And so branded with the team. That was the first guy I ever looked at and said, you know, even you know before that, I'd like Johnny Most and everything with the Celtics because I used to live in Boston. But Mike Lang, when I was in the business, was the first guy I kind of targeted. I got to be like that. And... um and here I am, you know, so and I never thought it would be in the NFL because NFL on radio, even 20, 25 years ago, it's far bigger today than it was, was then NFL so on yeah, radio. Now, now it's the biggest radio sport because of NFL films and your calls are immortalized and the highlights mean so much everywhere. It's just a different deal than it was even 25, 30 years ago. All right. You talk about getting into football later in life. And I think a lot of people would not. They'd be shocked to hear when you actually started watching football because here's the thing right we can go back any season any game you remember calls you remember scores you remember formations you've got this like photographic oddly photographic but i'm very jealous of it memory of all like charcoal etching memory but it's it's okay but you remember you have a you have quite a memory and to to think that you weren't like this your whole life when it came to football. Oh, no, not at all. What age were you when you got when you started actually watching football for the first it's, time? I can admit this publicly now, DP, but I was not a sports fan in high school. Okay, <laughs> which is kind of weird, to, you know, considering <laughs> to do, what I do to do today. what you do and work for an NFL but team. Right. I, my kid is ten years old. He knows everything about the NBA and the NFL. I mean. Yeah. Not everything. But well, there's a ton just of stuff. there's more of it. Also, there's an NFL network now. So yeah. You you could have gotten into it. Well, like that. Well, no, but here's the thing. I had European parents, you know. Uh, they weren't into sports at all. My brother was an athlete but wasn't into being a sports fan at all. So I really was never exposed to it. And I was into the arts in high school. I was a guitar player. I was in bands. You know, I did all that. The sport I participated in was sailboat racing, which is very esoteric. So much like NFL. So much like the <laughs> NFL. Actually, never mind. Uh, I fell in love with the NFL in college. My freshman year of college, I had a dorm room. 
and I overlooked Nickerson Field, which is formerly Braves Field. This is at Boston University. The Bra- the Boston Braves used to play there a hundred years ago, and the Terriers of Boston University played there. And I was watching football from my window. It was kind of like a luxury suite with the dorm room overlooking the field. And I really started to get into the game. And the guys were all watching Monday Night Football. You're in a dorm now in college. And I thought, this is really entertaining, this stuff, you know? <laughs> Everybody's watching this It was a great thing. season. To, I'm, you know, I'm giving away my age now. But the season was uh, the one where the 49ers won the Super Bowl for the first time. You also had a job as a bartender. And I did. that contributed to your love of football, oddly enough. Yeah, and, and working in college was really, for me, it was the best thing. I really needed to do this because I had... Um, I don't know. I just had this weird perception of the world. Not that weird, but I needed to go through that, you know, do a job and appreciate things a little bit more, um, a lot more than I did. And it really gave me a great appreciation of all the, you know, the wonderful things I have in life now and everything uh, and and actually did have then. But I had to start putting myself through school uh, halfway through college because of family situation and divorce and all of that. So that you, was good for me. And what, what were you studying? Because you weren't studying broadcasting at the I, time. I was studying business and liberal arts. And like a lot of kids in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? But I so, did like sports. You know, we talked about it in the last segment. I started to fall in love with football. And I went in deep. I went to pro football talk every week and just inhaled every word of it. This is pre-internet, mind you. You know, okay. at some point I discovered they write articles about this stuff in the newspaper. Like, <laughs> it's they, pretty popular. Yes, it's very <laughs> popular. And, and I said it was the season. The season I fell in love with football was the 49ers Super Bowl run with the catch and all that stuff. And the San Diego Chargers were my favorite team. Dan Fouts and the Chargers. Once I saw them on television, I saw them on a Monday night game, and I said, that's my team. I think that 49ers team made a lot of people fall in love with football because I know the Joe Montana era and yep. the catch. That is, that's when I started watching football. Anybody I was not in college, but, game. yeah, I was hooked too. But my parent, my dad used to have it on. Right. And growing up in Indianapolis, there was no team. So the 49ers were my team. Right. Growing up. And, and why not adopt them? Because they were so good. They were so fun you to You know, watch. the funny thing about the game with the Cats, that's the NFC Championship game. They beat the Cowboys, and that's always a good thing. But the, that game, Montana throws two interceptions. You know, we don't talk about that ever. No. Like, the game in which maybe the greatest pass in NFL history was thrown, Montana threw two picks along the way to get to that point. And that goes to show you, never give up. Don't hang your head. Keep fighting. You never know what happens. Even after the catch, Danny White has the Cowboys. I think they were somewhere around midfield before a turnover, and you know they had a chance to win it anyway, even though the catch just occurred. But anyway, I fell in love with football that year, got into it deep, and I got a job, uh, long story, but I got a job bartending. And I bartended at the Harvard Club in Boston, which is <laughs> which doesn't sound a, like a place that would show NFL football. Yeah, it, not as glamorous as it sounds. Well, I, I was in the squash courts bar, and this is a Harvard Club, so everybody. This, this is what sa- this this is what Harvard. Well, yes, but that's know. what I picture. And there I am wearing my little vest and my bow tie, and I'm a bartender, and uh, just kind of squash club. Yeah, I was just such a spoiled brat. I was hating every minute of it, but I was working and put Good you know, for service you. with a smile and all that. And they gave me the Sunday shift, which was a real blessing in disguise, because I was there for like eight, nine hours on a Sunday. Very few people came in, but I had the TV on, and I watched professional football all day long. Because was, that, that was the only thing that was on? Like, why did you? Well, you, it was, was on. That, you were no, into I, it at that point. I was point. into it at that point, okay. and I was like, I am getting paid to watch NFL football. This is the best gig ever all of a sudden. <laughs> and you've got you, you at your disposal all these beverages. All these beverages. <laughs> well, not alcoholic. I couldn't do that at work, but they had like the... 
I had a carton of those goldfish peanuts or goldfish crackers and like dry roasted peanuts in, in the tins, you know. Oh, perfect. And I ate like I ate <laughs> handful after handful. Of One peanuts. night I thought I was about to give birth. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I loved just sitting there and watching, watching football, football and learning all about the sport, you know, just and into the broadcasters and everything. But never in my wildest dreams at that point did I think, oh, I can be a broadcaster in the NFL. Because I were you listening? Were you listening? Were you were still trying to absorb the game? Were you listening to the announcers at that point? Yeah, How they I was. Were like calling, er- making calls, no? like everybody does. Okay. And, and as I said, I, like I always kind of looked at the sport from an entertainment standpoint, you know, because I came into it in a different way as a little older, and I was into music, and I just I loved the glitz and the glamour and and the presentation of the National Football League on television, you know, with all the great music and just the way they put it together. And Brent Musburger, you are looking live at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. All that stuff was totally into it. But, again, never did I dream. And I I started to study communications in in college anyway because – I didn't like studying business and liberal arts, and a friend of mine showed me the course catalog, and I looked through it, and communications, they had, like, TV, radio class, and advertising. I thought, <laughs> they teach this stuff in college? I could do this. Like, how did yeah. I ever not see that? So I transferred into that school, which was a really good school at Boston University, and I got a degree in advertising, actually, because in order for me to get the broadcast degree, which I might have gone for at the time, it was just going to be more credits and more work. And, you know, I wanted to get out of school fast because I was paying for it at that point. All right. You know? So you so you get out of school and your first job was in sales. Sales, But it yeah. was in radio. There was a little bit radio of radio sales, involved. Radio sales, yeah. Uh, I was cutting some commercials and I was selling and uh, working for a little tiny station in All Boston. Right. And I, I eventually sold cable television advertising. This is like back in the early days well, of like cable advertising. on the other side of radio you were oh, yeah. on I was, the other side of radio, the I business was in side. the business side of things. Okay, so every every 20-year-old goes through this where you're working a job and, you're, and you think, I don't want to do this. This is not what right. I want to do. So what? Wh- when did that point come for you, and when did you know what you what it was that you did want to do? I, and how um, did you redirect yourself to I, that? I was selling advertising, then I started my own business as sort of a, a freelance advertising salesperson, if you will. I was just setting up clients with certain types of advertising you'd be good on the radio and i'd sell them radio and take a cut and it's not that complicated but it's just you know another esoteric sort of thing but i was doing that and i drive around boston and at the time the patriots were in this tremendous quarterback controversy with doug flutie who had joined the team during the strike season so he was called a scab tony eason and steve grogan was still there you know late late in his career and the talk radio lines were burning up. This is before sports talk stations. But, they, you know, every city had shows at 6 o'clock. They had, they had one here on, on KTRH. And, you know, it, it, every it was a, sh- a small part of the day dedicated to sports. Exactly. But not all day long. Like a, not all day long. Yeah. But it was the hottest topic around, and I want it on the air. That it was you talk had, radio that got me into it. I I had I felt like I need to say something. I have an it's opinion. It's just so silly, you know, like all the callers. But <laughs> pretty I much call. everybody that listens to sports talk radio has this right. feeling. Right, of course, you know, because th- those are the best topics, though. Those are the best topics right. of sports talk radio. The ones where everybody's in their car wanting to get on. The ones where the phone lines light up and. Everybody feels like they have an informed opinion, like their opinion matters. Those are the best topics. I don't care what anyone says. You everyone can, talk, can weigh in on. Right, you can I talk agree. all day about the Astros, you know, fifth string catcher who might be ready in single A. And that is interesting, you know, to a lot of people. But the ones that really get people going are like, who's the best quarterback? You know, because everybody feels like their opinion is is legit. Uh, anyway, 
I decided I will be on the air, and I bought an hour of time on a tiny little radio station. Knowing how the business worked, I said, you know, let me do that. And it cost nearly nothing. I could sell the commercials to local businesses in the area of that station. you've already been doing that. station's like a mile away from Foxborough Stadium, from Gillette Stadium, by the way. And and it probably covers like a mile area. I mean, the st- the station covered just the south suburbs of Boston. So I, a Saturday morning sports talk show knew nothing about being on the air, and the station owner was like, "Well, you know, he thought I was a nice guy, and he just let me do it, you know." And I started to do a show, you know. And I, what did you talk about? I I got guests because I realized <laughs> even then, like these guys are promoting their causes. Dave okay. Cowens was the curator of the New England Sports Museum. He used to play for the Celtics, so I got him on the air. Uh, a Patriot running back had a charitable thing going on. I called the team and I said, "I'll put him on the air." And back then, it was like, "Oh, you will!" Like there weren't as many media outlets, and of there course. wasn't the same kind of fervor in the media. So I got guests. And the first time I ever heard uh, a guest's voice in my headphones on the phone, I just said, "This is unbelievable." I mean, I got to be doing this for a living. This is fantastic. What was it about? What was it about hearing a guest's voice? I, I don't know what it is, but it's the magic of radio when you're on, when you're on the headset. You're, you're speaking into a microphone. And people are some, listening. People, well, I don't know if they were listening to that station. But you think it didn't matter are. though, because yeah. I was totally into it. And then uh, the lightning bolt though hit me. The station asked me to do a game, color commentary of a high school football game, Foxborough High School, playing another high school in Massachusetts. And I did, and we were doing the game into a tape recorder, okay, because we were going to air it the next morning. It's ridiculous. But a lot of stations, some stations still function like that. Anyway, I was broadcasting this game, if you can call it that, as a color commentator, knew nothing, uh, but it was magic. It felt like home. And I actually got into the men's room at the half, you know, the halftime break, and a lightning bolt hit me in the men's room, which just oh, wow. I, it sounds oh, bad. Okay. But that, but when that <laughs> and occurred, the lightning bolt made you think I will do this for a living. It will. I will do whatever it takes, takes to, to do get, this for okay. a living. I knew it at that moment, and I was like 26 years old. I will do what it takes, and I will do this. And I said, if I have to go to the ends of the earth, if I have to go to Timbuktu, whatever, I am going to do this. And um, and it hit me that hard, and it's such a blessing to be hit like that with something. Because when you, and, and I encourage, like I always tell young people, you don't know what it is, maybe, because a lot of people tell me that, like I don't really know what I want to do for a living, and I don't know what it is. Go in the general direction of that, because that's all I ever did, and I realized that since I was doing that, eventually it showed up for me. You know what I mean? It presented it, itself because you put yourself in a, you put in a yourself situation of things that you like to do. Right. You, yeah. Go in the general direction. If you like to coach, try to help out a team. Do whatever. I got more to say on that subject, but that's how it all happened. You go through this entire journey of yours, and then you interview with the Texans. And I right. just think you and I have this in common. You have to hustle for a job. You have to hustle for a job. You hustled for this job with the Texans. I did, but this is this pales in comparison to... Like the way I got the UMass job and the way I became the voice of the Miami Hurricanes are unbelievable stories that I'm not going to get into great detail here, but let's just put it this way. When you really want a job, and I say this again, saying it to the young people or anybody. This is great advice. You go get the job. You don't sit around and wait for them to call. That is really not effective in most cases. Sometimes they'll call you and, hey, it's great, right? But you got to go out and get it. you got to show up. You, you got you to show how much you really want it because you got nothing to lose at that point, right? Nothing, right. You have to ask yourself, what am I willing to do? And if I don't do this, you know, if I do do this, what's the downside? And if I don't do this, what's the downside? Right. 
uh, with with UMass, I actually showed up. And I had an appointment to meet to make a presentation on why I should be the play-by-play man, and there were two other people I needed to meet, and I went to their office unannounced, waited in the waiting Is room. Is that a good idea, though? I think it's fine. I think it's fine because if you, they were if it were you and somebody just barges into your office, I'd be impressed. A... <laughs> Not barge into my office, but they're at the reception. Excuse me. So yeah. and so. Well, here's the thing, and here's the technique. So and so is out there. They want to shake. They say they, they just want to shake your hand and say hello. Oh, okay. okay. That's very unthreatening, and that's all it was. And in, unless the person, like if I'm, I'm me, and I'm meeting the person, you know, don't take any more of their time than that unless yeah. they want to talk. Uh, University of Miami, I did the same technique. I, Paul D. was the athletic director at the time. I just showed up at his desk. And said, you just want to shake his hand? I said, just want to shake his hand. I waited an hour. He came out, shook his hand. I said, I want to be the voice of the Hurricanes. He's like, I did get your stuff. Because he, he knew, because I sent him a FedEx. Well, back then you'd FedEx your stuff. Now you send links. But it's almost better in the FedEx days because everybody, you know, gets a FedEx package and they whoosh, you open it you up. Open you want to see what's, what's inside. inside. Yeah. Right. So I sent four or five of them to the university. <laughs> so they would all have them. They're all scrambling around like, you know, who do I give this to? You know, even if it's like just the marketing guy who has nothing to do with the decision, he walks it over to the, you know, other guy who it might have something to do with It doesn't get lost the in the email shuffle because it's a physical package. It's a physical and package. It. And it you know cost me some money, but I was willing. You know, what are you willing to do? I was willing to max out my credit card to go down there and try to get a job, and I got the job. So, uh, the, the Texans was a little different because I was in year two at the University of Miami. We were coming off a very good year where we beat the Florida Gators. We they beat the Florida Gators in the Sugar Bowl, and they were about to win the national championship the next year. And you know, you never know how it's going to go down, but the prospects were really good. I think they were preseason number one. Of course, they were. So anyway. Uh, I get a call from the Houston Texans, and it was a woman who no longer works here in PR, worked for Tony Wiley, and they were doing a search. Yeah, yeah, they were doing a national search. They weren't even going to go play for another year and a half. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's and they. So you, did you, you didn't know that there was a team in Houston? I, I knew or there was you, a team. Or had it was, been announced? Everybody knew that there was going to be a new NFL team called the Texans, but I never. I I was not going for the job because I'd only been at Miami for two years. Okay. And again, they're doing really well, and I thought I could have that job for the rest of my life. You know, and no no one knew at the time that they were going to torpedo in all three sports. They were not going to be. They've not done anything close to what they did when I was there in all they three really sports: haven't. football, basketball, they baseball. They really haven't. But, um, so you hear about this NFL team. It's a, still a year and a half away. They asked me to be on the short list. Like, do you want to be on the short list of candidates? And I'm like, uh, it's well, why would NFL. you say no? To, why would yeah? Who says no to that? Uh, I, I really didn't say no. I was like, uh, yes. Well, it's kind of like you know, you're married, but Jessica Alba comes along and says, <laughs> and you're like, uh, well, that's a bad example, maybe. <laughs> She's on the laminated list, like friends. Yeah, you're yeah, like, if she, the NFL calls, I have to. Be, I have to be able to stop what I'm doing because the NFL's on the laminated list. That morning, all right, I go to. Uh, uh, Hurricanes golf tournament. Larry Coker, the head coach, is there, and he said, "Hey, I got a call from the Houston Texans today, asking about you." I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, they're they calling Larry Coker. Coker for a reference." So, how do they know about you? Just because Miami had been doing so a well. A guy named and- Chip Namius, who used to be in PR with the Oilers, and uh, John McClain has talked about him a ton. He does PR in, uh, on the West Coast for movies and teams and everything. He was doing helping with the search here. He got my name from Hank Goldberg, who people know from ESPN. Uh, and Hank was working at my radio station, so he recommended me. And I think that's just how it got rolling. But, again, there I am. 
and they're not they're not playing for a year and a half. I think the Texans wanted a voice to like do some of these events. They had, and people remember back in the day they had event after event after event. The they unveiling been, of the jersey, Toro, the unveiling had, of Toro, yeah, yeah, the yeah, unveiling yeah. of the cheerleaders, the unveiling of this, that, the other thing, and they wanted an MC, you know, to help them out. But I was thinking, I don't really want to be there if I'm going to get this job for like another year, you know. But it, it took a long time because CBS Radio and the Texans were, it was a mutual hire, really, working for CBS, but in conjunction with the Sports Texans. Sports Radio 610, yeah. So it looked like it was going to take a while, but I was like, I'm going there. So I was flying through to Tulsa to visit the in-laws, and I was like, I am stopping in Houston. Uninvited? Uninvited. I, well, I called them up. Okay. I called up Bill Van Rysdam, the p- program director. I said, I'm going to be there. Let's meet. Let's talk. So, so you were not officially there on business for an interview. They, did, just... they didn't fly me in once. I flew myself in twice wow. to interview, uh, once with the radio station and another time with the team and the radio station together. So and you show up at his office. Were you not worried, like, if he's busy or he doesn't No, no, I made an appointment. Made an appointment I, I told him. him I was All coming right. in. So that wasn't as, like, really overly dramatic as the hurricanes and the when, human. When the book version and the movie version come out, it it'll be, be dramatized. It's totally dramatized. Brad Pitt will play me and uh, <laughs> I don't know, we'll work it out. It'll be great. You'll be camped outside the office. <laughs> Jessica Alba will be in the movie at that point. <laughs> somewhere. I'll play somewhere. myself. <laughs> it'll all be good. <laughs> it'll be good. It'll be great. All right, so you show up, you you interview because now it's it's this partnership thing where you're mm-hmm. doing the morning show at six ten. I was doing nine to eleven. Are you doing? You were doing. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't the morning show. Yeah, it was. Which, it was two you... hours in the morning, and John and Lance were on in the morning, and they were great, and everybody was really nice and 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 wonderful there. It was a it was a great place to be. I was on alone though. How about this? Only one sports radio station in town. I'm on alone for two hours. In a I've new never city. worked here. In a new city too, because I would think. It's tough. People do it all the time. Tough. You get a new job in a new city, but you got to learn. You got to yeah. learn all the. You got to learn. And by the way, you're going to do the Van Chancellor show. He's the head coach of the Comets. The Van <laughs> Chancellor show. He had his own show. You know, I forgot and, about that. And so I went to a Comets game and I introduced myself to Van Chancellor and said, "Listen, I'm going to be your guy. So let's talk." And uh, and it all worked Sorry. out. They were very good back then, obviously. All right. So then you meet Andre Ware, who's now your yeah, your sidekick. Uh, yeah, you Andre, guys are each other's sidekicks. And I was helping that in that interview process, and there was no question Andre was the the best guy for the job. How much say did you have in that? And I think I had some very decent sized input in Does that. Does the play by play guy generally get to say no. who? No, I mean I guess a little bit, but you know they 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 wanted to make the right call, and you know Andre is. What such did you an like about? What did you? I know what I like about Andre where and you together on the broadcast but what did you like about him when you heard him well it, it, there's two two sides of this one is before we started working together and and being on the air together right right away when you meet andre you, you know he's so easy to like he's laid back he's smart i mean he knows the game so well um I, I just love where he came from and the, his whole story. I mean, I just loved all that. So much stuff. like yours. Uh, yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> just you know. a little you bit won different. You the Heisman Trophy, and I won the uh, I was bartending wa- trophy. I was watching you in, in a bar eating peanuts mm-hmm. up in Boston. Exactly. I mean, I was working in Michigan at Central Michigan University when he was with the Lions, when he got drafted by that the is, Lions. That is a really a so, so it's funny, like, when you're in this business, and you're having some of this too, I'm sure, you know, you meet people that – you, you used to follow, you follow when you were a sports fan before right. you were in the business. Just It's crazy. Andre and I, I think, have a very good sound. We complement each other well. He's so easy to work with. We can finish each other's sentences. And that is one of the things that makes it special. All right, that right. first Cowboys game. What it, is that like? Your first NFL game for the first game in a franchise franchise team's history. 
It what was, is that like? It was amazing. Well, now remember, we had five preseason games leading up to that. Oh, did that did that ward off a little bit of the nerves? Not really, oh, okay. because because as soon as you get to the regular season, and that's one of the things that really jumped out at me about the National Football League at the time is how different the intensity was, especially with the veteran players like Aaron Glenn in particular, people like that. The way they played in the preseason versus the regular season, there was a big difference. difference yeah, and the buildup. Look. Houston had no professional football for five years after the Oilers left. I only got here on April 1st of 2002, and the buildup for me was excruciating. The suspense, the anticipation, the waiting, all the events, everything, one thing after another. My gosh, can we please get to the games? And, you know, it, it was a layering process. The draft and David Carr showing up and all the rest of the guys and Chester Pitts and Jabbar Gaffney, et cetera. Uh, you get finally, you know, you have all the offseason practices. Finally, you get to training camp. Then you get to the Hall of Fame game. Oh, even before that, the Cowboys scrimmage at Robertson Fame, uh, Stadium with yeah. Hard Knocks um, following the Cowboys around. And, and the Cowboys absolutely killing the Texans in that scrimmage. And Steve... McKinney with the fight with John Nix fight. It was a little skirmish or whatever. But then you get to the, the Hall of Fame game. They lost that. Then they beat the Saints 13-10 to in the first ever Texans victory of any kind in a preseason game. Then you got Kansas City. Miami Dolphins was the first preseason game here. Then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in the final preseason game. But the Cowboy game, there was an electricity. Uh, it was the whole city just erupting at once because – they're getting that, pro that football five, back. That five-year hiatus. And I was going to ask you because you got here kind of late here. I was here. I got here when the Oilers were still here. Yeah. So I was at the tail end of the Oilers, but I was here for that five-year hiatus. And I was at that game. And I just remember it being like goosebumps yeah, being it, at that game. And, and this is and your, it's the Cowboys. And it's the Cowboys. And it's the first game. But now you are actually working. You're not just a fan watching the game. You are actually working the game. Working the game. as a, and, and you get this way before games anyway, right? right. Probably to a lesser yeah. degree now. And the desire to get it right. It's funny because I... I had just called the national championship in January of that year, of 2 All right, the Hurricanes defeat Nebraska. They win a national championship. But there's nothing like this. I just, you know, people ask me all the time, like college football versus the NFL. Look, college football, it's great in the very big games. It really is. It's especially for a ter- terrific program, terrific school. But the NFL is great every single, single weekend. Game, yeah. You know, every weekend it's you're facing – it's not just the magnitude of the game. You know, as you work in this league, how great these athletes are. And the speed rushers coming off the edge. Even for the bad teams, you have a heck of an assignment every single week to get right. Those players do. And as an announcer, I try to appreciate that every single week. We play the Jaguars. We play Tennessee. They were terrible. They had the number one pick in the draft. You know what? They're really hard to beat. They've got sensational athletes, and it's all on the line every week. I love that about the NFL. So the first game, you got the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys. And, you know, everybody, you either you love be, them or you hate you them. You don't have to be in Texas long to figure out that rivalry, and, right? And I, you know, we could do a whole segment on Texas because – you know, I didn't know anything about Texas. And the first two books I read when I came here were Friday read, Night Lights. You read books about Texas? Yeah, and uh, I read James Missioner's Texas, which did is it, like a small you? cinder block. <laughs> um, How well did this prepare you for your move to Houston? I think it prepared me it very did? well. Those two books, uh, I recommend them to everybody. Because Friday Night Lights, there's something about that it, with the whole high school football you the thing. Culture of which really is the true football religion in this state. And then 
you read Missioners, Texas, which is the history of the of this great. I I don't even want to call it a state. It's a land. It's the land of Texas. Really, are you know? Houstonian now? Yeah, oh, so much, DB. And you know, it's funny because like I'm a New England guy. I went to school up there. I, I grew up in suburban New York. I'm a Texan. I'm a Texan. You know, it's just it gets in your blood. I got two sons born on Texas soil, which means it's like marrying into the family. So you're pretty much a Texan. I'm a Texan. Now. All right. So now now here you are. And I know everywhere I go with you, people recognize you. You're the voice of the Texans. They may not recognize you by by sight, but as soon as you start talking, everyone recognizes you. Better off heard and not seen. (laughs) Well, now you're on Texans TV, so I think people are – you're very recognizable. But everyone comes to you for career advice because it seems like now Mm. with all these different sports radio stations and television stations dedicated to sports, there's this influx of young people wanting to go into sports broadcasting. What is the most common question you get from young people? And you know, how do you get into it? That, I get that. And all what's the your time. advice? What's your advice? You know, it's harder. It's easier than ever, and it's harder than ever because the, the hard thing is it's tough to get internships now because you can't get unpaid internships. I used to joke about starving unpaid interns on Sports Radio Six Ten. I had so many, and I still stay in touch with a lot of these people. Uh, but you can't do that anymore because of uh, federal rules. You have to pay your interns, and that means there are fewer opportunities to come in with zero experience and contribute. But there's also YouTube. There's social media. You can build your own brand separate from any major broadcast channel, and some of these people actually make it. Look, a guy like Mike Florio, it's not like he's got all this broadcast experience. He started a website that was a great idea, and he took it to the ultimate heights. I think it's a phenomenal story. Good for him. I mean, whether you like him or not, you got to admire that. And there are numerous other examples. The big lead guy, I don't know what his background is, but he's got this tremendous website. You can do things like that now. And it's not always going to work. Don't tell. Don't get me wrong. This is not easy. It's not an easy road. But you can kind of get on the air. I always recommend education, you know. And I recommend not necessarily majoring in broadcasting. It might even be better to do something else other than broadcasting. But get involved with whatever they have going down on campus to get experience, to get some chops, because that way you can possibly get into a situation where you can contribute right away to a radio station or a TV scenario or whatever. If but you, if keep you, working. If you had to go back and do it all over again, mm-hmm. your journey to the NFL, would you do right. anything differently? Because uh, you still ended up where you felt yeah, like you belonged. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I... It, Could you have made it more efficient of a path? Absolutely. I started in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, making <laughs> 200 bucks a week, you know, broadcasting the third quarter of a high school game in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. That was my first full-time job because after I did all that stuff, stuff I talked about earlier. Yeah. I could get a job in Boston. I mean, that's a big market. I had to go to a little tiny town in Pennsylvania. It's like Punxsutawney. It's, in fact, it's not far from Punxsutawney. Uh, it's, it's that kind of town. And uh, and really, you, you know, get my chops that way. So you think that young people should start off, be, be willing to move? Uh, what if oh, you're not? The what if willingness you to move in any business, I think, is huge. Because if you have what I call geographic flexibility, it increases the universe of, you know, where you can get jobs, right? I mean, it makes sense. But I'm not going to tell anybody, you must start in a small market. Because, like, I've seen people start here for, like, Sports Radio 610 and work their way up. And they're they're doing shows. They, they get a day, a day part. So there are all sorts of different paths. There are all sorts of different ways to make a living in broadcasting in particular and obviously all sorts of uh, paths of life. But uh, I think the key is hunger, be great to get along with, you know, and work hard. I mean, that's that's it, you know. Be willing to do virtually anything. All right, good stuff. And you'll be back in the driver's seat yes, next tomorrow. time. Thanks so much for joining us. And check out all of our coverage on HoustonTexans.com.